Welcome to the Creative Pen Podcast. I'm Joanna Penn, thriller author and creative entrepreneur, bringing you interviews, inspiration and information on writing, publishing options and marketing ideas for your book. You can find the episode show notes, your free author blueprint and lots more information at thecreativepen.com and that's pen with a double n. And here's the show. Hello creatives, I'm Joanna Penn and this is episode number 683 of the podcast and it is Friday the 31st of March 2023 as I record this. In today's show, I'm talking to intellectual property lawyer Catherine Goldman about AI and copyright and in the introduction I'll round up some of the things that have been happening in this incredibly fast-changing space and all the links are in the show notes if you want to fact check or follow up anything. Catherine and I recorded the interview just a day after GPT-4 was released, and things have changed even in the past couple of weeks. So my introduction is coming up, and then you'll hear from Catherine in the interview section. And just to be clear, we are discussing the various legal cases, but it is all still in flux. And although Catherine is a lawyer, nothing in this show is legal advice. So I'm staying with the AI theme this week in my introduction, but just a heads up, next Monday we will be back on craft when I'm talking to Merrin Glover about her book on the Cairngorm Mountains and writing sense of place. So if you're not interested in the AI stuff, please come back next week. For now, let's get into it. So there are literally hundreds of new AI tools launched every week right now. And even I have given up trying to keep up with it all. I once again recommend Ben's Bytes newsletter to follow if you want to try and keep up or at least read it. It's a daily newsletter and it's kind of astounding. Um, Ben'sBytes.co.co. Links in the show notes. First of all, a comment on GPT-4, which is only available as part of the paid version of ChatGPT. And I've been using it since it came out on the 14th of March, 2023, just a few weeks now. And Catherine and I recorded like the day after. It is a very different experience to the previous models. Now, I wanted to make this clear up front because I have heard on some other shows, I'm not going to name any shows, but I have heard people talking about things and the comments only make sense in terms of GPT-3, not GPT-4. So if you're listening to anyone talk about AI stuff, make sure they are referring to the latest models as it makes a lot of difference. And each model is capable of different things. And it's so interesting because, of course, if you wind back just a few months, I was talking about GPT-3 because that's all there was. <laughs> but now it's so interesting. I mean, even when I'm looking at podcasts, when I'm searching for people talking about these things, I am making sure that they at least refer to GPT-4 because it's so different so I just wanted to, I did talk about this uh, two weeks ago, but just to go into it a bit more. So the GPT-4 input box is bigger and the model is more developed. It's really difficult to know how to describe it, but essentially you can do a lot more pre-prompting before generation or analysis or whatever you're going to do. So I'm pre-prompting it to get into the voice of JF Penn. Yes, I am using GPT-4 as myself and it is kind of a weird experience, And it, but it is a lot of fun. And I'm using Catacomb, which is uh, going to be my next novel. It's going to be a standalone because I want to keep this completely clear from all my other series. So I'm doing the standalone novel to explore aspects of how it can be used. And look, to be honest, I really 
really look forward to our sessions together. And I say together because it really does feel like a kind of collaboration. But interestingly, I can't actually spend too long with it because it thinks, in inverted commas, so much faster than I do. So I write a little bit and then I ask it for ideas and then I go away and think about them and um, I'm going much deeper into the book and I can ask about metaphor and theme more than I usually would. For example, in the middle of a scene... I might break off and ask about the Shakespeare plays that feature fathers and daughters because this book, Catacomb, is going to have a theme of fathers and daughters. And then I'll ask for quotes that relate to the theme and then symbols that might relate to aspects of the words in the quotes and the theme. And uh, I did create, and there's a a symbol, I can't remember if I mentioned this, but there's a symbol uh, carved into the catacomb entrances. And this symbol I designed on Midjourney. Well, I say I designed, I designed with Midjourney based on the prompts from GPT-4. And it's so cool. I might even use it as a book cover. Uh, but yeah, so this is really interesting because it's, it's just, it's like an augmentation of my process. And I do think that curiosity is a superpower when it comes to this. You have to have the quality of your questions makes a huge difference to the output. I've also been interviewing characters, which I have never done before. So I've got an urban explorer character and I'm reading a lot of books about urban exploration. But uh, I pre-prompted as you are a female urban explorer in Edinburgh in Scotland. Please respond as this character using terms that some someone in the urbex world would. And there's all kinds of jargon that I just wouldn't know. And I have been picking some of it up in these books, but and some websites that some lovely people on Facebook directed me to. But I'm actually chatting with this character and it's really helping me put together how the story might go. So all of these things are around the actual writing, but it is a very different experience to GPT-3. It is definitely intelligence augmentation. So yes, I did want to mention any, (laughs) we just have to keep moving on our idea of what is possible. And so what was possible with GPT-3 or 3.5, it has now changed again with 4. And if you haven't tried it, then yeah, I don't know, I'm even thinking of doing a little thing for my patrons or something like that to show you, but it won't be long before it's in other things. Talking of which, I previously mentioned that Microsoft launched Copilot for Office, but I wanted to mention it again as it is based on GPT-4. It is definitely worth watching the launch video as hilariously I've been Mac Mac first for sort of 15 years and it has made me want to jump back into the Microsoft suite of tools in order to use the functionality. So it can do things we now take for granted like writing and rewriting text. It can generate a PowerPoint from a document along with appropriate images. You can use it to interact with data on Excel and ask it questions. Now this is what I want. I want this. So we still don't have a fully functional tool that enables wide authors to analyse data. So, for example, I can get all of these downloads from all of the places I sell books. But what I, I have to do is try and put them together through one of the many things that are available, but none of them integrate everything automatically. But with this tool, I could just pull all my Excel sheets into one and then ask questions like, What was my best-selling book across all stores in February? And then compare that to last February. And what store was the best for fiction? And that kind of thing. So I really, really want that. It can help you write emails and generally sits across your office life. And um, if you use Microsoft Teams, if you use this suite within your day job, you may find it's getting rolled out in some way. 
And again, links in the notes. Other things, many of us use Canva for all of our social media images and blog post images and book covers. Some people use it for book covers, slide decks and other things. Now, Canva has launched a new suite of AI powered tools, including design, edit, translate, syncing audio to video, drawing, erasing parts of images and backgrounds, creating animations, turning text into images and developing layouts. So this is called Canva Create and this is AI powered design basically and also adobe has launched firefly which is their generative ai and this is a whole suite of tools for people using photoshop and other uh, adobe tools so if you are someone who said you'd never use ai or you never want someone to use ai your book cover designer is very likely using this already it it also includes text-based video editing and yes text-to-video will be probably be here i mean there's some early text-to-video with runway ml if you've seen that but (laughs) text-to-video will probably only be a few months away probably by the summer 2023 it will be text-to-video tastic So this all looks, I mean, the Adobe stuff is interesting because they're saying that the training uh, is creator centric in that they have the licenses to train the models. So there won't be, there shouldn't be any issue with that material. But yes, if you're someone who already uses Adobe tools, then uh, it now has more AI. And then back to OpenAI. So they launched GPT-4 just a couple of weeks ago. And then last week they launched plugins for chat GPT. Now this again kind of blew people out the water because this means that I mean one of the the biggest issues that people say about the model is that it hallucinates. So for some reason everyone goes in and the first thing they try is tell me about myself which is totally ridiculous because it's not Google that's not its job. It is a it's basically a creative tool. <laughs> um, but now with plugins, what's going to happen is the model will have access to up-to-date data. Remember, it's not on the internet at the moment, except through Microsoft if, if you use Edge and Bing, which I've also been using, and that's cool too. But essentially, the plugins mean ChatGPT has access to up-to-date data. It can run accurate computations and use third-party tools. Now, some people have said that basically this is OpenAI. They've released the iPhone uh, equivalent and the App Store equivalent at the same time in terms of the impact on what might come next. Some of the plugins they've introduced are Expedia for travel planning, Speak, an AI-powered language tutor, Fiscal note for legal, political and regulatory information. I presume that's in the US. Um, Instacart, so you can order things. And Zapier for integration between apps. Wolfram for computation. And what I am most excited about, Shopify. (laughs) Yes, there's an integration with Shop. Now, I am very excited about this. For many years, I have wanted book discovery that is more nuanced. And if you go back, years on this show, I have said things like, why do I have to type in keywords onto a another store in order to find books? Why can't I use more emotional words or longer descriptions? Um, how does how is it not using the text of the book as some kind of search thing? But now we've got this essentially natural language processing tool. So I can say to ChatGPT, 
I want a thriller with aspects of Dan Brown's religious conspiracy theories and the action-adventure global archaeology elements of Lara Croft and a strong female protagonist. And it needs to be a series so I can really delve into the world. And I could potentially use ChatGPT with the shop plugin and it will return my arcane series, which would be very cool. Um, You can already use, now I'm saying that's what I would like. (laughs) I'm not saying that is what's going to happen, but you can already use ChatGPT to find comparable titles. So here's another tip for what you can use it for. So I went on and I said... um, can you give me some recommendations for books like Dan Brown's The Da Vinci Code? Uh, And then I said, okay, those are all written by men. Can I please have some written by women? And then it gave me a whole load more. And what was really interesting is it told me about some thrillers that I'd never heard of before, including a series by Taylor Stevens. And I was like, oh, this is really cool. I've never heard of this series. And I went and actually bought the first book in the series. So as I was testing this book discovery, I actually found and discovered new books. So if that integrates with Shopify to buy books, it would be very, very cool for Selling Direct. Book discovery needs help. And this would be awesome. So I'm actually really interested in hearing from you if this is something you're interested in exploring. If you're an AI developer, if you're a Shopify chat GPT developer, which to be honest is such a new thing. (laughs) But if you're someone in the tools for author space or this is something that you're like, yeah, hell yeah, that would be amazing. Um, And I'm not saying that this is just for me. I'm saying this is for everyone. We need better book discovery. So yes, chat GPT plus shop plug-in for book discovery. How cool would that be? Email me, joanna at thecreativepen.com if that's something you're interested in. Now, some podcast episode recommendations to help you get deeper into this stuff. The Hard Fork podcast, which I've recommended before on an episode on the 24th of March last week uh, called Bard Fork. (laughs) Uh, They actually give some examples of how real people are using ChatGPT in different ways. So remember, this is not just about writing. This is about daily life. And I've had several people now tell me they just keep it open in another tab all day and just use it on and off all day for lots of different things. Also, the Lex Fridman podcast with Sam Altman, the CEO of OpenAI, about the sort of bigger topics around AI. It's a long conversation, well worth listening to. I I find, and in fact, Sam says this, he says he's a different type of person. He doesn't understand quite a lot of things that many of us do. Um, I find him very interesting as a person. And so, yeah, that's on the Lex Fridman podcast. So more specifically on this episode around copyright, the US Copyright Office issued guidance for works containing material generated by artificial intelligence. And Catherine and I talk a little bit about this, but this was just released on the day we discussed this. Now, the main thrust of the copyright discussions, and remember, this is policy guidance. This is not a legal case as yet. Basically, fully AI created work or that with a very small amount of human input cannot be copyrighted. Copyright must rest with a human. And this is what I talked about in the uh, blog post I did a while back and when I did my With a Demon's Eye story and I used Midjourney to do the cover image of a combat photographer. Now, I said in my blog post, I consider that image to be Creative Commons because it was literally a, I did some iterations of prompting, but it was just a prompt and it outputted an image. How should I have any right to copyright on that image when it was, it was, it was pretty much female combat photographer? 
photographer with camera background of flames. I'm not an artist. I'm not a graphic designer. And I didn't do any manipulation in any other tool. Whereas if you are a designer, an artist, you would have done manipulation. So I'm assuming that is Creative Commons. They also say that works that can be copyrighted will be assessed as to whether the AI contribution are the result of mechanical reproduction or an author's own original mental conception to which the author gave visible form. A human may select or arrange AI-generated material in a sufficiently creative way that the resulting work as a whole constitutes an original work of authorship. This policy does not mean that technological tools cannot be part of the creative process. Authors have long used such tools to create their works or to recast, transform or adapt their expressive authorship. What matters is the extent to which the human had creative control over the work's expression and actually formed the traditional elements of authorship. So basically they're saying, yes, you can use tools as we always have used tools, but the definition of whether it can be copyrighted is whether this really comes from an author uh, and that we've arranged it and it's original. Now, if you need evidence to prove this, I mean, if I if I produced all the work that I'm putting into Catacomb, it's going to be very obvious that I should have copyright to this material. I It is so iterative. It is backwards and forwards. It is edited. It is transformed. It is... It, it's very hard to explain unless I actually demonstrate it. So obviously, when the book is finally done, it will be some kind of meld and I won't be able to separate who did what, um, where I end and GPT-4 begins and vice versa. It really is this interactive co-creative process. And I may find that this takes a lot longer than me actually writing it myself because of the ability to just go deep into some areas that if I was doing it myself, I just wouldn't do. So co-creating with a tool like GPT-4 is not a clear-cut distinction whether this line was written by a human and this line was written by an AI. It's this back-and-forth conversation. And in the same way, if you are a visual artist using something like Midjourney or Stable Diffusion or DALI, you'll go back and forth with the image generator, specifying lighting, camera angles, even the type of lens, the details about the scene, and then you'll probably manipulate that in Photoshop or whatever you're doing. And so I think as if you are an AI artist or you're you're now an AI powered writer, uh, then yeah, the human as creative director is more the thing you should be talking about now. That's one thing. And I talked about this in the, in the um, Tsunami of Crap episode a few episodes ago, whereas this is, th- there is obviously a scale <laughs> because the way that I am co-creating with GPT-4 doesn't mean that's the way everyone's going to do it. And in fact, you can use this iterative process to output a whole book and not question or go backwards and forwards or bring your own ideas. Uh, and there is, I'm linking to this in the show notes, uh, an, a, a writer, Kiara Kurtzi, shared her process for outputting a whole book with GPT-4. It's an article on Medium called Generating a Full-Length Work of Fiction with GPT-4. And what I would say is uh, this is not crap. (laughs) I'm not saying that this book itself is not crap. I'm saying 
that if you compare some books by full humans to these things, then you can't just dismiss it out of hand. What she does say is it is impossible currently to do this with a single prompt. You cannot say, write me a book, write me a thriller book in the style of Dan Brown. You can't do that. You can't write a whole book with one prompt in the same way you can prompt Midjourney with one line and come up with an image. You can do that now, but you can't do that with a book. But what you can do is use a series of prompts that structure the process and allow it to complete the task one step at a time. That article is interesting. And this is the difference between GPT-3 and GPT-4, because it really wasn't possible before, but now it outputs considerably better work. But we are writers. So why would we do that? (laughs) I just can't see why I would. I just don't want to do that. Why would I? (laughs) It's not what I want to do. I enjoy the process of creating. (laughs) So again, what I'm urging you to do is do not throw the baby out with the bathwater. Do not assume that all co-created work is bad or all people using AI tools are bad. Hopefully I've been trying to educate you around this for a while and I hope you trust me enough to know that that is not what I want to do and I'm trying to use my experience to make this a better book as opposed to something that's just generated. Um, I've seen some quite offensive comments on various Facebook places and blogs and things where they just assume that anyone using AI tools must be evil and wrong and, you know, unethical. And and I hope that over the last 14 years of podcasting, I've shared enough that you consider me trustworthy. And if you don't, you're probably not here anymore. (laughs) But basically, we all have to choose our view on this and come at it with a nuanced view. It is not either or, that's what I'm saying. It is no longer black or white. (laughs) There are many shades of (laughs) grey, more than 50, in fact. But there's some other elements that I wanted to bring in uh, because we all need help to frame our thoughts on these topics. So there is a new petition by humanartistrycampaign.com and it's signed by all kinds of groups. But It includes core principles for artificial intelligence applications in support of human creativity and accomplishment. So it says technology has long empowered human expression and AI will be no different. It is a tool to assist the creative process and we embrace these technological advances. So pretty much everyone who's done any work on this, that everyone is embracing some aspect of the technology. Now, there are various clauses. It's really interesting. You should definitely go and read this. Uh, And in fact, one of them I had already put into my 2020 book on AI, where they talk about use use of copyrighted works requires authorization and licensing. And I postulated in that book and have mentioned before, I would love to license my body of work and receive some kind of license fee. I think that is a better angle than trying to prevent copyrighted work in the models. I would still like to have a database of indie author books that we could license out and get payment for. So again, if that's uh, if you're into licensing data, I'm definitely up for that. And in in there, uh, one of the sections says creators interests must be represented in policymaking. Now, this I absolutely agree with this. And in fact, I was part of the AI submission to the UK government, along with the Alliance of Independent Authors on this a couple of years ago. And To be honest, we tried to get other groups involved. I'm not going to name any groups, Um, some genre groups and some uh, author groups. And they they basically said we're not interested in getting involved in discussions on AI. 
But the fact is, we must get involved in these discussions. So whether you are pro AI or against AI or balanced around AI, (laughs) please get involved. I think you can only comment if you have at least tried some of these tools. You must be more informed than the commentators who have not tried them. Please, (laughs) we need more diverse voices in this. And I don't mind whether you're pro or anti. I just want you to be involved in the discussion, uh, not necessarily with me, but with the government. And as uh, governments, because we're all, this is a global podcast and each country is coming about this in a different way. So Catherine mentions in the interview that the US Copyright Office is having some submissions uh, and links in the show notes, but also in the UK. In fact, just today as I record this, I'm going back to read it after I've recorded, the um, UK government has put out another kind of statement on AI and they're looking for responses. So I'm going to get back into that. So it's getting involved is so important. Now, I haven't signed that human artistry petition. There is a petition uh, because I don't agree with every single one of their statements. I think much of it will actually date very quickly given the stringency of what they're asking. Also, don't think that... um, Yeah, I just don't think it's going to be able to stand up. But definitely have a look as these kind of things help you think about your position and come up with your approach and how you're going to use these tools. Now, as ever, I come at this with a positive spin. You would have expected that from me, right? It doesn't matter if we are flooded with one-click books. As in fact, we're already flooded with content. Every single book available in the world could be an absolute masterpiece and we would still be flooded. The quality of the work is not the point. It's There is so much, <laughs> so much to read, so much to watch, so much to listen to. And in episode 676, around the tsunami of crap, I, I did a long introduction about this. The fact is, it's not all crap. The tsunami of content is not crap. Uh, it's just that writers seem to think that that's what it is. But basically, my thought is that If the act of writing itself is no longer a barrier to entry, to publishing, then building a strong author brand with a unique voice, reaching and connecting with readers and selling direct becomes even more important. So again, just to repeat that, so you would have heard in my discussion with Lindsay Baroka, for example, who writes a book a month, 100k book a month. If I wanted to, and and I have played around with this on GPT-4. I actually am now at a point with my level of curiosity. (laughs) If I wanted to write a book a month generated with AI, I could. I know I could. I have proved this to myself that I could, but I don't want to do that. (laughs) That's not how I work. (laughs) So, and that's not Yeah, that's just not how I work. I love research, for example, and I still will do lots of research. And my research will generate questions that I will then work with GPT-4 to go deeper into that kind of thing. But yes, the act of generating written words is no longer a barrier to entry. But we still have to build that brand with a unique voice. We still have to reach and connect with readers. We still have to sell books if that's part of how we make a living, which it is for me. (laughs) Oh, and by the way, if I do start putting out a book a month, you're going to know how it happened. (laughs) But as I always say, double down on being human. Even if you co-create with AI tools, as I am starting to you can still be more human. And I, I hope you get from this kind of introduction that my humanity is not dented in any way by using these tools. 
And yeah, I'm going to use it to write even better books. Now, Becca Syme has just talked about these kinds of things on her Quitcast uh, about the new rules of publishing. Uh, you can go on YouTube, Becca Syme, or links in the show notes. Um, basically, in a mass of content, you have to focus on connecting more. And Becca is fantastic. Go check out the Quitcast on YouTube. So if you're having a bit of an existential crisis about this, it comes down to why do you write anyway? Will you still write even if readers can output a book to order with AI? For me, of course, I will still write, as I said. I measure my life by what I create. I write to figure out what I think, to share what I learn, to tell the stories that crowd my mind, to answer the questions about life as I think about it and then put it into the world of my characters. If you've read my arcane books, Morgan Sierra thinks about God and the nature of science versus religion all the time. (laughs) And I put my writing into book form because I like finishing projects and having something to show for them. I like saying, look, I made this. This is what I made. I also want other people to read my book, so I want to go through that process. I want to keep my writing essential to my business, so I need something to sell. So you have to answer these questions. Why do you write? Why do you publish? And then also, as I've said for the last, what, couple of years now, I am pivoting more into this creator economy model, selling differently through direct-to-reader platforms like Shopify and Kickstarter, where I have more control, while still putting my work on the other stores as well. So do not worry, creatives. I'm going to keep writing and publishing and connecting with readers and sharing the journey, even as we surf this wave of change. And I hope you will think about these questions yourself and let me know what you think. You can always tweet me at The Creative Pen, email me joanna at thecreativepen.com. And if you do email me, you can always say, please don't read this out loud, (laughs) because sometimes I do. (laughs) Uh, I want to end this introduction with mentioning an essay that Bill Gates released on The Age of AI Has Begun. Now, whatever you think about Bill Gates uh, in many other situations, he is a reader He's a serious reader, that dude. And he's a deep thinker. And he is connected with all the people developing AI. He is a knowledgeable voice in this situation. He says, The development of AI is as fundamental as the creation of the microprocessor, the personal computer, the internet, and the mobile phone. It will change the way people work, learn, travel, get healthcare, and communicate with each other. Entire industries will reorient around it. Businesses will distinguish themselves by how well they use it. In addition to helping people be more productive, AI can reduce some of the world's worst inequities around healthcare, climate change and education. So try to balance fears about the downsides of AI, which are understandable and valid, with its ability to improve people's lives. To make the most of this remarkable new technology, we'll need to both guard against the risks and spread the benefits to as many people as possible. And that's at gatesnotes.com. The age of AI has begun. Links in the notes. So just put aside writing for a minute. Forget about what we do. Forget the disruption for authors and the creative class. Because these AI tools can do so much more. Would you like AI? to solve climate change, or at least help humans solve climate change, or to create new drugs that might help cure the disease of yourself or someone you love? 
Would you want to help educate every child in every country in the world by being a personalised tutor for free? And that is one of the most exciting things. This is no longer an either-or debate. AI tools are here. You cannot stop the change ahead. And in fact, you might have seen a petition in in the last day to stop development for six months so people can catch up. But I can't see that happening at this point. So it's time to engage if you haven't already. Read around the topic, listen to some other podcasts, but make sure they're recent ones about GPT-4. Get an educated and nuanced response to what is a fascinating challenge on both a personal level and a societal shift. You also get to change your mind as you learn about new things and play with the tools yourself. If you have been anti all this and now you're ready to try it, awesome. You're allowed to change your mind. Um, Let's not have a go at each other for changing our minds on these things. Exciting times as ever, creatives. So thanks for your emails and tweets and comments. Photo of the week goes to Sharon Mitchell, who sent a picture of a gorgeous open ocean view in the sun, listening to your podcast from a cruise ship going from Puerto Rico to Barcelona, which sounds like an awesome trip. Opal Tree Press left a comment on YouTube. Thanks, Joanna. It was great to hear your lessons learned and make notes on your advice. I ran a Kickstarter campaign last year, which funded and have been meaning to design another one for 2023. This video from you has given me the oomph I need to get on with it. Fantastic. And uh, just so everyone knows, it was the audio. I, I put the audio on YouTube. And Kevin Wilkins said... Joanna is a very warm and helpful person in her podcast, but in episode 681, she spoke of herself as that dark little shadow in the corner. And uh, I uh, basically, J.F. Penn is my dark little shadow. (laughs) My fiction is my dark side, my shadow side. And Kevin says that little visual thought stuck with me and I did some sketches of the idea. And uh, this was on Twitter and Kevin linked a picture of the sketches. And thanks, Kevin. They're really cool. And uh, I'm obviously going to get into more of the shadow as the year goes on for my Kickstarter next year, which will be about the shadow side. Right, as ever, you can tweet me at the Creative Pen. Send me pictures of where you're listening. Email me, Joanna at thecreativepen.com. Leave a comment on the blog or the YouTube channel. I love to hear from you. It makes this more of a conversation. So today's show is brought to you by the friendly people at Written Word Media. Written Word Media knows that marketing your book can be one of the most challenging parts of being an author. That's why they make marketing easy by providing quick, easy and effective ways to promote your books. Written Word is best known for their email promotion sites, Free Booksy, Bargain Booksy and Red Feather Romance. They have five promotion sites in total that send daily newsletters to a combined audience of over one million readers. They even have a site to promote your audiobooks, Audio Thicket, which I just use for a promotion on Risen Gods. And that's why I like Written Word Media. I use it to boost my backlist titles at regular intervals on all the usual stores, and it gives everything a bit of a bump. Now, when you purchase a promotion with Written Word Media, your book is sent to thousands of readers who love and read your books in your specific genre. As the email hits inboxes, you'll see a flurry of sales or downloads of your title. They've actually, today as I record this, announced some new categories, Lit RPG, Romantic Comedy, Western, Western Romance and History, as well as the usual categories you would expect. 
Email promotions are priced based on how many readers are in the genre and range from $25 to $500. To help you get the most out of your book promotions, Written Word Media recently launched Premium Membership, which gives authors 10% off their book promotions and special access to products and services like their new partnership with Yonder, a premium serial fiction app offering curated stories in every genre. Visit writtenwordmedia.com forward slash membership to take advantage of this discount or send them an email at info at writtenwordmedia.com to ask for recommendations on which promotion will best meet your goals. So this type of corporate sponsorship pays for the hosting, transcription and editing. But my time in creating this show is sponsored by my patrons and they especially support the episodes on AI and other topics that were once futurists and are now right now. Thanks to all the patrons who support the show and have done for years and months. It demonstrates you find the show useful and want it to continue. Thanks to new patrons this week, Jennifer Summersby Young and Stephanie Hock Riley. Now, if you support the show on Patreon, you'll get my extra monthly Q&A and I answer questions on craft, uh, publishing, book marketing, business and of course the futurist stuff. You can support the show with just a few dollars or pounds or euros or lots of other currencies and you can support the show at patreon.com p-a-t-r-e-o-n.com forward slash the creative pen right let's get into the interview Catherine Goldman is a copyright and trademark attorney and has worked in intellectual property for over 30 years she runs creativelawcenter.com, which offers resources, workshops, and advice for creative professionals, including authors, artists, designers, and more. So welcome back to the show, Catherine. Oh, thank you, Joanna. I'm so happy to be here again. Oh, I know. And this is going to be a very popular episode. <laughs> so we're just going to jump straight in. So you have been running workshops on AI and your creative work, Perils and Promise. So what sparks your interest in the impact of AI and why is it important for authors to engage? Well, so I've always been a bit of a technology nerd. So I'm not an early adopter like you. I'm more in the second wave of adoption. Back in the day when computers first came out, I didn't ask my parents for a Commodore 64. I asked them for a Trash 80. So I'm definitely second generation. <laughs> but I've been in the game ever since, right? I, I learned how to program very on, early on. And then I started building databases and then websites. And, you know, so whatever comes along, I kind of dip my toe in. And now, of course, I represent a lot of creative professionals, artists, writers, photographers, and others. And so when Midjourney and Stability launched last year, I began receiving emails from my clients and from members of the Creative Law Center asking all kinds of questions like, can they do this? Is this legal? How can I protect my work? And so I jumped in. I had to dig in. And so AI has been around for a while, but with mid-journey and stability and chat GPT, some of my clients, well, lots of them, felt that their livelihoods were at risk. And we needed to get to the bottom of this. Now, it turns out that the job of lawyers is also in jeopardy. A lawsuit was just filed this week against a company called do not pay.com and it uses AI 
to help people defend themselves in court from things like traffic tickets, that you put these glasses on and the glasses listen to what's going on in the courtroom, to the prosecutor and to the judge, and they it, they feed you answers, how you're supposed to answer these questions. Um, so yeah, lawyers are at risk too. So I got involved in order to answer these questions about what's happening to our livelihoods. Yeah, I mean, I I had heard of do not pay, and you're absolutely worth every penny. <laughs> but lawyers can be pricey, and so you can see I've had a look at do not pay, and like you said, they can generate these letters and all of this kind of thing. And I've seen GPT four do tax returns and build websites, and all of this is in the demo of the recent GPT four. And so it's really interesting, isn't it? And of course, the other thing we should say we're recording this on Friday, seventeenth of March, twenty twenty three, and GPT four came out this week. Google launched their AI. Facebook just put out another one today. I mean, it, it, this is accelerating. So, and we're really at the beginning. So are you afraid? You said perils and promise. So it seems like you're balancing both. Well, isn't that the job of a lawyer? To... <laughs> um, so am I afraid? No, I personally am not afraid. I mean, I've been in this business for um, a long time. And so I have a very stable book of business. And so I don't fear for my personal job, but I think this represents a sea change, right? We are going to we are going to lose a lot of professions. We're going to lose a lot of jobs, but there are going to be new jobs created necessarily. And so there, there's one job listing that was sent to me by one of my clients for a prompt engineer and librarian, okay? Mm. Somebody who can use, and this is still on GPT-3 because this is an old listing, older, um, somebody who can prompt these AI machines to give the output that is needed for whatever the business is. And they list the criteria for this job. You'd be a good fit if you have a creative hacker spirit and love solving puzzles. And they go through all these these issues. They're offering between $175,000 and $330,000 a year. So, and everyone's everyone's going to need one. I mean, you're completely right. Prompt engineer is a new job. I love creative hacker. I feel like that is also a job descript- description. <laughs> yeah, creative, let's say legal hacker. And therein lies the problem, right? Mm. What is legal about all of this that is going on? Um, so do I have any fear about it? Not personally. I believe that there's going to be a loss of of certain jobs. I think that folks who, you know, I don't want to say it, but I'm going to say it, those who are mediocre at their jobs are going to be replaced in certain categories. Those who are really good at it are going to become the folks who use these AI platforms or these machines as tools to help them get better. Mm. Although I would also say that I think 
there will be new types of people and this is happening in the art community there might be someone who's a mediocre artist as a painter but they can be a hell of a prompt engineer and they can potentially do a much better job now than someone who originally was painting a picture for example so i think what is excellent or what is mediocre is also going to change so i think let's put a pin in it and say things are changing but let's get into the <laughs> let's get into the legal side because that's what we're talking about today so let's start with this training data so you mentioned stability ai there's a court case about that and the issue seems to be is it fair use to train models with data is the work transformative so what are your thoughts on this question okay so the notion of fair use has to be addressed on a case-by-case basis, right? It's a case-by-case defense. And so when you are looking at fair use, the first thing you have, so it's a defense, right? So there is infringement, okay? And so first you have to determine that the AI platform had access to the protected work, all right? So let's assume that for a moment. And then you have to put the two works, the original work and the output from the AI side by side. Are they substantially similar? How much of the original work was taken? Was it just enough as necessary to send the message? And I'm using air quotes. I know you can't see me. But the message, what is the message that AI is sending? Or was the message the input from the prompter? Okay, so first you're going to have this, is there infringement? And then if there is infringement, was it fair use? So the Getty case, which we'll talk about in a minute, is probably going to get to this issue. Is it fair use to scrape all these images and then use them to create something else? Is that something else going to be substantially similar or is it going to be new and different? And I have seen examples of both. I've seen substantially similar. In fact, in the Getty case, they have in their exhibits I, examples of identical reproductions of something that's in their database. Okay, that's going to be infringement. That's not going to be fair use. On the other hand, there are examples of things produced by generative AI that don't look anything like what's in the database that they've trained on, as far as we know. Mm. The bottom line is the, the, um, database on which the AI has been trained is really a great big black box, isn't it? We don't know for sure what it's been trained on. This is so interesting, though, because I I just want to assume, and I'm not saying this is going to happen, and obviously we're talking at a time when there really is no legal (laughs) final word on any of this. It's all up in the air. But essentially, Getty, they are not trying to shut down the technology, the idea of large language models, large image models. And in fact, they own iStock Photo, and they're looking at generating their own AI images from their own licensed work database. So even if the Getty win the case, these various other models get shut down and there's a settlement for people, then that's not going to stop it, is it? 
No, 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 no. The technology is here. It's not controllable at this point by government or the legal system would be my, that's my guess. But I will tell you that Getty is asking for the destruction of all versions of stable diffusion. Mm. Um, Yes, but that's what I'm saying. Even if that happened, then that's not going to stop somebody else building another thing or it might be on licensed work, I guess. Right, right. So I guess they're trying to control how it's going to move forward in the future. Personally, I don't know if they can they can destroy all versions of stable diffusion. Mm, Because it's distributed, isn't it? It's distributed on even phones now. Yep. I I just don't know if that's even a possibility. And that's why the technology, it cannot be stopped at this point. It's how are we going to live with it? How are we going to work with it? How are we going to control it? Who's going to control it? That's another big question. Is it beyond the control of government legislation. It's an international thing, right? Who's going to control it? Is it going to be in the hands of private business? Well, lovely. Um, That's the way it's going right now. So, but it's here. So we're going to have to learn about it and we're going to have to work with it and we're going to have to live with it. Mm, And I I keep, uh, I mean, for Andrew Ng, who's very famous in the AI community, talks about it as electricity. Some people say it's like fire or the internet, as in, uh, for a start, it's not one thing. We say the AI or an AI, but it's like the internet. There's so many different applications, I guess, at this point. But again, like electricity, like fire, like the internet, it can be really awful and hurt people, or it can be really amazing. And I certainly don't want to live without electricity fire or the internet at this point. (laughs) Yeah. um, And it is pretty amazing what's going on. It's phenomenal what's going on. It, the internet gave us like access to it. We almost think now in view of chat GPT, the internet itself is kind of like static. It's old school. It's, it's like, oh, that was back then, you know, and chat GPT has just given us this access to this huge communal worldwide brain. It's and it's an amazing thing. So yeah, I also get kind of awestruck by it. Yeah. It is. It is. And we were saying before I just got access to GPT-4 and it is it's like being plugged into a crazy like the matrix. It's it's wild. But I think I felt that I talked to someone else and they didn't because they didn't know how to interact with it. So it, this is a very interesting time. But let's get back to copyright. Yes, yes, yes. yes. <laughs> so another case. So the U.S. copyright It started off by denying all copyright for a comic, Zariah of the Dawn. But then she appealed and I follow her on Twitter. You know, her and her lawyers there. um, They they then said, no, this has got a lot of human input. And they said, "Okay, you can have copyright for the text and the layout of the comic, but not the images. And they have gone back again to show her workings around prompting. And this is the idea of the prompt engineer. The author here, the the artist in inverted commas, is a prompt engineer. So the rule, it well, it's not a ruling, but the US Copyright Office seems to suggest that it's the percentage of human involvement versus AI involvement. So what do you think about this? Like, what is an appropriate percentage and how are they ever even going to know? They're not going to examine every single thing like they're examining Zariah of the Dawn. Um, well, they do have copyright examiners and they do examine every single ap- application. So 
that's item num- number one. But the, so ChatGPT4 came out this week. Also this week, things are changing at the Copyright Office. On Wednesday, which would have been March 15th, they issued guidance now that in your application, you have to identify what portion of your work is generated by AI. Okay, so I'm going to I'm going to I'm going to quote their guidance now. Applicants have a duty to disclose the inclusion of AI generated content in a work submitted for registration and to provide a brief explanation of the human author's contributions to the work. Okay? So then they go on and say The office will consider whether the AI contributions are the result of mechanical reproduction or instead of an author's own original mental conception to which the author gave visible form. So the answer will depend on the circumstances, particularly how the AI tool operates and how it was used to create the final work. Okay, so very squishy language, right? Mm, super squishy because, yeah, I mean, that's really hard. I think it's easier with visual images, but with a body of a book, like a 90,000-word book, that's going to be very hard. Especially when you consider how many drafts you go through and all the editing. So one more thing that happened in the Copyright Office again this week, they announced that they are holding public listening sessions on the use of AI. And so they're going to ask participants to discuss their hopes, concerns, and questions about generative AI and copyright law. They're going to focus on literary works, visual arts, audiovisual, and music and sound recordings. So the first one on literary works is April 19th. And you can go to copyright.gov and sign up. You can request to speak at the session, or you can just attend as a listener. So they are in information gathering mode. And so to answer your question of what percentage, copyright has never been in the business of determining a percentage, right? The way I like to think about it is in terms of infringement, it's not what percent of the original protected work was taken, but it's talk about squishy language, it's whether the heart and soul of that work was taken. Okay. Mm. And then, of course, we have the Supreme Court um, considering a fair use case right now. Without the benefit of any of this technology impact. So it is all in motion right now. Yeah, it is funny because I kind of I want to play devil's advocate on both sides because I heard a US senator on the Hard Fork podcast, which I highly recommend. It's an excellent New York Times podcast. And there was a US senator who's on one of these committees in, in the Senate about AI. And he's actually he's in his 70s. He's gone back to university to do a degree in AI because they can't understand this stuff. <laughs> so I'm not sure if the degree will move fast enough. But he said there are more and more people talking about this. But he also is said, I'm not quoting him, the feeling of what he was saying was, this is America. (laughs) 
<laughs> we don't want to squash innovation. We want to compete. You know, you and I could talk about China. I'm sure he didn't mention China. But if America doesn't do this, for example, Europe will probably be much harder line. But the UK has just announced money again this week. <laughs> the UK has, has announced in the budget like a billion pounds for a new supercomputer because at the moment you guys have open AI. You have the supercomputer. So it's like, well, we need our own something like that. We can't be reliant on the Americans. Uh, so it, it's so interesting. We're beyond just a book or a comic at the copyright office. You know what I mean? It's like we're talking about a technology that is transformative to countries. So, yeah, very interesting. So I was listening to a podcast, the Wall Street Journal a Technology podcast this week, and they were talking about China's AI machine. Mm. And they were talking about how they are censoring their AI. So if you were to ask a question about politics you would get in return, the output would be, I'm sorry, we can't talk about politics. Yeah, but uh, this one is too, by the way. If you ask something that might be, you know, how do I use a gun, for example, this is what the conservative people are complaining about, is that the AI seems a bit woke. <laughs> so it's not just whether you call it, cens- I mean, yes, censorship or not allowing certain questions. I don't think that's just China. No, that's a good point. That's a good point. I hadn't thought about that because there are other issues. It is just so huge and exciting. And we are on this ride. Now think about this for a minute. Okay, it's 2023. And when did we first start really browsing the internet? When did we get a graphical user interface for the internet? Was that in the 90s, right? I think it would have been late 90s, but then there was the crash. And so, yeah, and then really sort of 2002, 2003, I guess. And 2007 was the iPhone, first iPhone. 2007 was the iPhone, right. So we, and that was really revolutionary. So the speed at which innovation is happening is compressing. It's getting faster and faster. It's not even a full generation before we are confronted with a new technology that we're going to have to learn how to incorporate into our lives. So it's kind of amazing and it's so much fun. And I know that it can be scary for people Mm. who think they're going to be losing their livelihoods. And yes, I, I get that, but it's, I'm having a great time watching what's going on. Oh, yeah. Well, let's be more specific because there are lots of us now, authors, and I'll particularly refer to a short story I put out with a demon's eye. So I used Midjourney to generate the cover image and I did a blog post all about it. And I, in the story, I used some text helped by ChatGPT and PseudoWrite and I documented it all in this in this blog post and mm-hmm. so I'm very open about it in my author's note I have this is how I use AI so I think hopefully that might pass the copyright office but also when I generated that image for the cover which is a female combat photographer and you could not get a stock photo of a female combat photographer right so I use that image and I have put it as just look this is creative commons as far as I'm concerned it's creative commons but I'm not a a cover designer. So the question is, if we use either Midjourney or we use ChatGPT or PseudoWrite or any of these tools and we generate some work that we then publish and sell, is this an issue or how might that be an issue? So 
I don't know how it would be an issue to sell and make money off what you generate <clears throat> off of Midjourney or Chat GPT. The people who are buying your work are buying it because they're your audience. They like the way you construct stories. And quite frankly, without you being the prompt engineer with PseudoWrite or ChatGPT, um, it, the story wouldn't come out the same if somebody else did it. All right. And so that is your creative input. And you are selling the output to your audience. Right? And so I don't see any issue with selling AI generated work to an audience who has come to know and love you. And even if let's just say you're starting out and you're using it to create work, visual art, written work, um, what have you. If there is somebody who wants to read it, you have to put yourself in the shoes of the reader, of the buyer. If there's somebody who wants that, they don't want to go out and make it for themselves. They want to buy it. They want to read it. They want to enjoy it. They want to be entertained. So from that economic transaction perspective, I don't see a problem with it. Mm. So, which is brilliant because I'm glad because I've done it. Uh, And the question, (laughs) the question, because I also agree, I've spent a lot of time looking into this and yeah, but one question would be like a retroactive issue. Let's say devil's advocate again, stability AI gets shut down and there's payment that's made. And if I was someone who had used a tool that is in the future shut down because of a legal issue, can people come after me retroactively because of that ruling? Oh, that's kind of a, in in the criminal world, criminal law world, we call that the fruit of the poisonous tree. Right? Ooh, that's a good one. Yeah. And I think that it would be very difficult to extend a ruling. Um, say the class action in California was successful and got mid-journey shut down, and you are now selling with a demon's eye using a cover that you generated through mid-journey. I except for the fact that you admit it in your blog post, I don't know that they would be able to trace all of the images Mm. that are created with MidJourney. And I'll also tell you that professional cover artists and professional digital artists who are using MidJourney, which apparently is better than stability, but who are using MidJourney in their work, they don't just take that output and sell it to their clients what they do is they take that output to represent an idea, and then it goes into Adobe Illustrator or Photoshop, another tool with AI in it, and they continue to work their magic with that tool to get the image just right for their client. So I I don't see how a ruling that would shut down mid-journey could reach out to people who have used MidJourney to generate things and then put them into another product and sell them to their clients. I just cannot see that logistically as a practical matter. Mm. 
Yeah, I mean, I, I agree with you. It's interesting, isn't it? Because all of what we're talking about is ethical authors, including myself and including your clients, ethical creators who want to do the right thing, who want to use these tools, these amazing, amazing tools to create more stuff. And like I said, it's like being plugged into the matrix. I suddenly think I can create everything I want to create, whereas before I felt I couldn't. It's like this huge lever that enables me as a single creator to do so much more. And so I feel like there's a lot of ethical questions that people are asking for the right reasons. But then, of course, we have to also be aware that it's very easy. You could take my short story, paste it into chat, into GPT-4 and say, rewrite this with a different character name, different um, a different gender, in a different location. It would literally be the same story, but some key things change. It would rewrite it and it wouldn't be plagiarism because the output would be different, but it's happened in, in a second. So, thoughts on that because we we literally can't stop that no we we can't stop that so and that i you know i'm not sure i know the answer to that one in a traditional copyright infringement framework you would have to do the side by side comparison as i talked about earlier you would have to show that there was access to your short story by the ai and then you'd have to show that there is substantial similarity in the expression or in the structure sequence and organization of the story whether changing the gender of the main character is sufficient that's going to become an issue for decision by a judge or a jury. And it's going to be this, it's going to be this one at a time consideration that an author like yourself would have to enforce against, right? And I'm not sure that most independent authors have the wherewithal to do that kind of enforcement, which is why the Getty thing is very interesting because they do have the wherewithal, although they may have ulterior motives. Oh, yeah. But so, you know, I don't know how we stop that. Yeah, I think my answer is we can't stop that and we won't bother. I mean, I people take my content the moment it's printed or the moment it goes up online. The moment this episode goes up online, I will get pingbacks from about 13 different websites that have just taken the whole thing and published all the, all of this content on their site. <laughs> so we're talking to you, websites who are stealing this content. Right. But, you know, the same on YouTube or the, any of my courses, any of my books, this already happens. So it will happen on steroids. But again, the massive content, you said this earlier, it's about connecting with readers who like our stuff. And some people will buy my stuff because I'm me and and I'm reaching out to them. And I guess that's all we can do is focus on connecting with an audience and the person who just generates AI content spam, they still have to find an audience. <laughs> that's true. But, you know, just to point out for a moment here, Joanna, connecting with an audience has been your mantra for years. Mm, yeah, nothing new. Right. And it's it's connect with an audience, own your own platform, control your own destiny. Don't put, you know, your entire career in the hands of an Amazon KDB who can decide to cancel your account. You know, it's it, you have to you you. Yes, it's about platform. It's about your own audience. So that is not new. 
And those people aren't going to find your audience isn't going to want to read something that is a knockoff of JF Penn. Mm. And if they do, you know, that's the thing we are. What I'm hoping for is that there will be AI tools that will surface content that we want to read. So for example, I now, you know, I I obviously I read and I read um find books on Amazon sometimes, I find them in bookstores, that kind of thing. We all find books in different ways, but I'm hoping there'll be a super smart AI book picker that will be able to find more books that I like in the sea of content. And again, like we talked earlier about what's mediocre and what's amazing. If there is someone in the future who is an amazing prompt engineer for the kind of fiction I love, then I will want to read those books. So it's so interesting, isn't it? It's like, don't throw the good stuff out with with the bad. Don't think it's all awful just because there's potential plagiarism. Yeah, that's true. That's true. Yep. I know. Mm. Okay, so let's just talk about something else that happened. Right. <laughs> so, uh, so the Authors Guild have added to their example contract a clause prohibiting AI training usage. So tell us about this. And is anyone actually going to put this in, do you think? I I, I don't know who's going to adopt it. I do. I, I love their their model contract. I rely on it all the time when I am negotiating publishing contracts with my clients. And it just, it gives me a lot of power to have them behind me. So just let me just say that to start out. But who's going to adopt it? I don't know. There's going to be significant pushback. I think, first of all, that there are existing publishing contracts out there that already give the publisher sufficient authority in the grant of rights provisions to let them use the book to train AI. Yeah, I absolutely think that completely. And they will. Why wouldn't they? (laughs) Well, why wouldn't they? Because, why wouldn't they? Well, because they have authors who generate a lot of money for them. And are they going to knock off their own authors? Well, I mean, if that's like the Enid Blyton estate, I once heard someone say the best author is a dead author because you can take their estate and do amazing things with it. So if it's a case of, or like the people who now co-write in inverted commas with Robert Ludlum or Wilbur Smith or, um, you know. Patterson. Yeah, well, James Patterson's still alive, to be fair. Oh, 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 oh sorry about that. Yes, <laughs> fancy. there's one. Yeah, so dead dead author estates would be a a, a very interesting example. That is an ex- a good example, and so we would have again whether those publishing contracts have sufficient authority in them to allow them to do that, and then whether the estates, whoever is in control of the literary estate is going to permit it. And then how do the royalties break down, right? So I think that there are a lot of of open questions. And I don't... The other point about this contract is remember that if you have a provision in your publishing contract that prevents the publisher from using your manuscript to train AI, all that does is control the publisher. It doesn't control third parties. Mm. And so that goes back to how did stability even get access to the Getty database, right? And can these AI machines get access to the books that are on Amazon? 
how, I mean, I don't have enough technology knowledge or experience to understand how they are training, where they're getting this data, and whether they're doing it legally or illegally. So I think that that's going to be an issue. It doesn't, that publishing contract doesn't control third parties scraping the internet. Yeah, it's interesting. I mean, and then you and I have been talking about techie things for a while. And the last time you were on the show, a year ago in 2022, we talked about blockchain, NFTs and DAOs. And this is, and then there was the crypto crash, which happened just after we talked. But now this is where I think that generative AI may accelerate the need for blockchain registration of IP and then subsequent licensing. So instead, so as soon as I finish a work, a finished work that essentially I now want to get copyright on, I would upload it to copyright blockchain. And that would mark before I put it anywhere else, I put it there and then it would have an an ID on it. And then for sure, I will license it for training models because I would like micropayments for that kind of thing. So my feeling is that perhaps this might drive the adoption of blockchain because we're not going to be able to keep up otherwise. Um, So I think blockchain is a great answer for registering IP, again, because it's international as opposed to the copyright office in the US. But creatives all over the world have been taught that they don't have to register their work to protect it. We all have to learn new things. I know. I know. <laughs> Isn't that the biggest lie in copyright, you know? So I think blockchain is a great answer for the registration process when it is developed and properly secured. But just to revisit what we talked about a year ago with those NFTs before the crypto crash, one of the most positive things that I felt about the blockchain was the ability to lock in for NFTs was the ability to lock in a royalty on resale, a royalty going back to the author, back to the artist on resale. So what happened with the crash, with the crypto crash? right? Mm. They are, these platforms, these NFT marketplaces are letting buyers get out of paying royalties. And that was one of the best things, uh, royalties on real say, on resale was one of the best things that NFTs and the blockchains were able to lock in. So we have blockchain, which is supposed to be an immutable contract and they're changing it. That's not immutable. Yeah, so, but I don't know. I kind of think all blockchains are not equal for a start. And also I think of blockchain and NFTs and all of that. I think of that as 1997 internet. And I hope that this crash is the 1999-2000 internet crash. And then what came out of that was much more, more robust design you know, the actual people building actual things as opposed to speculation and bubbles. So I kind of think that there's a lot of building going on now in the quiet after the crash that may emerge with this generative AI into an interesting new space. I think that the good ideas were there. It's just maybe we need the architecture. Yeah, it's right. Exactly. The good ideas are there, but the structure is not there yet. But I do think that it is the possibility for a worldwide registration system. And then not just registration, but the reason you have registration 
is so you have enforcement. You have the right to say to all of these 13 websites who are going to steal this podcast, you have the right to say, "Uh uh-uh, take it down, right? And and I don't know, then it comes down? I don't know. (laughs) Well, they just have to pay a micropayment and they can use it. That's fine. That's what it is, isn't it? It's it's fairness, fairness. (laughs) Yeah. Right. So, and here we are, the ethical people talking about fairness because, but there are those evil deed doers out there who aren't going to give a hoot about fairness. And also remember that if you're registering on the blockchain, there's your entire content completely available. And it now it's not even a question of whether it's illegal to do the scraping. There it is. <laughs> That's a really good point. Oh, this is so much fun. I mean, we're out of time. We could talk talk about this forever. And I, you're <laughs> clearly going to have to come back on again sooner because things are changing so much. But you are doing all kinds of things at the Creative Law Centre. So tell people what they can find at your website and these events that you're running and what you're planning to help creatives with around AI stuff. Okay, so let me just add two little tips for your audience on that we did not discuss, didn't discuss everything, but I would like everybody to add an AI training restriction to the terms of use on their website. Okay. So put it in there. I don't know if you're going to be able to enforce it or if you're going to want to enforce it, but put it in there. Use the Authors Guild contract language as a model and stick it in there. And also add an AI training restriction to the copyright page of your self-published book. Because remember, buying an ebook is a license and it's subject to contract. So again, you have a restriction that might be enforceable. So those are my two tips for your audience. I can be found at the creativelawcenter.com. I offer a membership program to creative professionals. My concept in setting up this membership program was to make legal services around copyright, trademark, and creative business building affordable and accessible and actionable for creative professionals. So come and visit me at the creativelawcenter.com. I lurk on Twitter and I am on LinkedIn also. So at Catherine Goldman, and those are the places you can find me at We have monthly workshops, and then we have years going back of workshops that you can get the replays to. And so please come and visit me and shoot me an email if you have a question. Well, thanks so much for your time, Catherine. That was great. Oh, it was my pleasure to be here again. And I look forward to talking about GPT-4 once I've had a chance to check it out. So I hope you found the discussion with Catherine interesting and also useful as you consider your approach to these AI tools and how you might use them as a writer or in your book marketing or in your day job. So remember, you can find lots more episodes about AI and other futurist topics at thecreativepen.com forward slash future. I actually keep getting emails at the moment from people saying, oh, can you talk about this? And I'm like, yes, I have been talking about this for a long time. (laughs) So that's thecreativepen.com forward slash future. And I welcome your constructive comments on the show notes or the YouTube channel or on social media at The Creative Pen or email me joanna at thecreativepen.com. And of course, if you're a patron, you can ask your questions in the monthly Q&A. 
So next Monday, we will return to a relaxing craft episode when I'm talking about writing nature memoir with Merrin Glover. So in the meantime, happy writing, and I'll see you next time. Thanks for listening today. I hope you found it helpful. You might also like the backlist episodes and show notes available at thecreativepen.com forward slash podcast. You can also get your free author blueprint at thecreativepen.com forward slash blueprint. If you'd like to connect, you can tweet me at The Creative Pen or find me on Facebook at The Creative Pen. See you next time.